Hi, everyone, and welcome to the John Henry Weston Show. This is John Henry Weston, your host, and this week, the John Henry Weston Show is on the road. And so we're going to bring to you this special report. It is a snapshot of the state of the church today given in Rome. I hope you enjoy it. May God bless you. Just to show you, there's a real relation. You'd think LifeSite is that anti-Vatican place. That's what, that's what a lot of people think nowadays. It's not true. We had a very warm relationship with the church until recent times. And things have really changed in recent times. And I, <clears throat> you need to really understand that. And so that is what a lot of this presentation is going to be. So if you can go to the next slide. So I call it the Millstone Award. But if you read uh, Matthew chapter 18, you read... Um, about how it's better for a millstone to be tied about your neck and thrown into the sea, which, by the way, was the gospel we had yesterday, right? Um, I thought that was very providential that that was our gospel. Um, so it's true, though, and Bishop Schneider actually told us the true friends of the Pope are not the ones who give him adulation, they're the ones who ask him for clarification, ask him to clarify the confusing mess that he's making with the church. Because the Pope, like every one of us, will have to answer on Judgment Day for what he did. And when Jesus was talking about the millstone, he was talking to his apostles. He was telling them, it would be better for you to have a millstone. Everybody know what a millstone is? It's a huge stone that they use to crush wheat into flour. And it's, it's so heavy, it's impossible. And the, big, the heavier they are, the more you can do and the better it is. So it was just... It's a ridiculously big, heavy stone. So if that's tied to your neck, well, you know what's going to happen to you. So, but it's true. That's, that's where we're coming from. We actually see it as an act of love to correct, admonish the sinner. As the scriptures say, it's an act of mercy, right? To, to the church teaching is it's an act of mercy to admonish the sinner. We're actually doing that even with prelates because we know it's better for them to be corrected even by the laity, then go to hell. In, in the same way our Lord talks about better for you to lose your hand uh, in this life uh, than be thrown whole body into hell. So, and it's very clear. If you want to make it clear for yourself, because I know it's confusing when you relate it to the Pope, think first of all of the sexual abuse situation. How much better would it have been for some layman to confront the priest when he was getting off into this thing, into this lifestyle with, don't you dare do that, or God knows what kind of uh, you know, confrontation there would have been, but it would have been so much better for that priest in the long run, even to have lost his priesthood per se, than go into this life of horrific sin. Um, and so it's that, that's the concept that we work with. You go to the next slide, you'll see that in canon law, if we can, I wonder if we can move the projection a little bit. But anyway, if you can see it, in canon law, talking about the lay faithful, they have the right, indeed at times, the duty in keeping with their knowledge, competence, and position to manifest to the sacred pastors 
their views on matters which concern the good of the church. They have the right also to make their views known to others of Christ's faithful, but in doing so they must always respect the integrity of faith and morals, show due reverence for the pastors, and take into account both the common good and the dignity of individuals. And so that's exactly what we're doing with Voice of the Family. That's what we're doing at LifeSite. Um, and trying to be clear on what we're doing because we would rather die than do something that Christ doesn't want us to do. So this is what, uh, what we're about. Next slide, please. Saint, oh, perfect. St. Thomas Aquinas teaches the same. If the faith were endangered, a subject ought to rebuke his prelate even publicly. Hence, Paul, who was Peter's subject, rebuked him in public on account of the imminent danger uh, for the faith. So it's interesting because right in the beginning of the church, with the Lord's own chosen first pope, there was this example right away of the need to correct a pope publicly. Um, and so we, we have that situation today um, rather grievously. Um, we actually try so hard to do this. We not only do LifeSite, but we found there were a number of prelates, high-ranking even cardinals, not following what was happening in the church. Um, and I was so startled because this back in 2014, 15, 16, I still thought, the cardinals are the ones who are going to save us because they're paying attention and they'll, they'll know what's going on and they're going to fight this somehow. And I learned sadly that a lot of the cardinals weren't paying attention at all. So let's get into it a little bit. This might for some of you be startling and I apologize for that, but you need to know the gravity of the state we're in so that you understand what we're up against. We're up against something that has never happened in the church before, and I mean never. So you've heard about the Arian heresy where it seemed like everyone in the church was Arian, even the Pope for a time, and uh, you had Bishop Athanasius. Isn't it funny? It's the same name as another Bishop Athanasius today. But anyway, uh, you had that occasion. But as several people, will, uh, historians will tell you, Professor Dumate, at least it was one heresy. And now we have many, many, many. So we'll get into that. One of the first indications that there was a difficulty or problem with Pope Francis was actually on the balcony when he came out. On the balcony he came, when he came out was Cardinal Daniels. Cardinal Daniels is very famous because he's the cardinal who um, fought always with JP2 and Benedict, after JP2 made him a cardinal by the way, but anyway, um, was in favor of abortion, actually told the King of Belgium it was okay to legalize abortion, but he would say, of course, that he was doing so for legal reasons. He also praised the legalization of homosexual marriage. He wears a rainbow stall. I've got a picture of him later with a rainbow stall on so you can see. Um, but he was on the balcony with Francis on the election day. And you can go watch the video of that if you wish. It's all over the place. But even from a liberal perspective, Cardinal Daniels is terrible because he got caught on tape telling a sexual abuse victim who was abused by a bishop friend of Cardinal Daniels not to go public that he was abused, not to bring it to the courts because the bishop was going to retire the next year. So even in the face of that, which is like one of the only sins left in the world, that the world counts as a sin, that was the case nonetheless. Okay, so then... There was a lot of other incidents. He praised Casper on day three. But a lot of people stood up and took notice on the papal flight, the first papal flight back from Rio in 2013, the year of his election, where he said, we cannot insist only on issues related to abortion, gay marriage, and the use of contraceptive methods. I'm a son of the church. It's not necessary to talk about these issues all the time. 
And every single pro-life leader around the world went, where? Where is it talked about all the time? Has anybody heard a homily on contraception ever in your life? They basically no. And interestingly, I thought to my great naivete, it must be in Argentina. In Argentina, they're pounding the pulpits on this stuff every day. So I called up to Argentina, the pro-life group there, and I asked them, so your priests are regularly like talking about abortion, same-sex marriage, and contraception. Not at all. So that gave us a good indication of where things were at. But just so that you see what a diversion this is or difference this is from the, where the church was always, if you go to the next slide, um, this is 2006, Pope Benedict XVI said to members of the European People's Party, as far as the Catholic Church is concerned, the principal focus of her interventions in the public arena is the protection and promotion of the dignity of the human person, and she's thereby consciously drawing particular attention to principles which are not negotiable, protection of life in all its stages from the first moment of conception until natural death, the natural family and parents' rights and education. Those are what Pope Benedict called the non-negotiables. But what I want you to notice is that's the principal focus of the church in public intervention. And yet we heard from Francis exactly the opposite in a very public intervention. It was a public interview on a plane. If you go to the next slide, this is Pope John Paul II. Uh, the inviability of the human person, which is a reflection of the absolute inviability of God, finds its primary and fundamental expression in the inviolability of human life. Above all, the common outcry which is justly made on behalf of human rights, for example. Now get this, because this will come up later. He said, the just, uh, sorry, the common outcry which is justly made on behalf of human rights, for example, right to health, home, work, family, culture is false and illusory if the right to life, the most basic and fundamental right, and the condition of all other personal rights is not defended with maximum determination. Please remember that, because that's going to come up later. It's the basis of one of the official teaching heresies of the Pope. As we go through, you'll see there's a lot of things you could consider heretical. Next slide, please. And I apologize for this, but this is horrible information, but it's what happened. He met the chief abortionist in Italy by the name of Emma Bonino. Emma Bonino is not only the chief abortionist, she started out as an illegal abortionist, did like 10,000 abortions, left the country so she wouldn't go to jail, came back, became a politician, legalized abortion, joined the party which legalized abortion, homosexuality, every bad anti-church thing you can imagine, and still stands by it and encourages it, and nonetheless... Uh, the Pope met with her. Not to correct her, by the way, but to praise her on her stance on immigration. So many times did the Pope meet with her that she goes and speaks at Catholic churches around Italy. Next slide, please. And I apologize for the photo. That's her doing an abortion. Next slide, please. We'll just clear that quickly. But the point is, the evidence that she was an abortionist and did abortions is free for everyone to see because she's really proud of it. You can catch her talking pro-abortion after her meeting with the Pope. There, this is not some reach out to sinners and bring them to conversion. It was praising someone causing massive scandal. Um, so there's another unbelievable thing. Since Pope Francis's entry into the Apostolic Palace, or at least the hotel next to it, um, he 
has brought in a, a, just an unbelievable laundry list of the worst population controllers on earth. And it's, so the same people John Paul II fought. John Paul II encouraged the pro-life movement to go into the UN to fight the population controllers because they were foisting abortion, contraception, and so on on the world, saying, oh, the population is overburdening the planet and we're all going to die. Of course, that was proved wrong about 20 years ago, but that didn't make a difference. Still today, they're pushing the same nonsense line. And what happens? Tesla comes out. Everybody here, you know Tesla, the guy who made the cars, and Elon Musk. Tesla, everybody know him? Yeah. He came out the other day to say that the big problem we're facing is an underpopulation problem. And which, is, which has been known for about 20 years, but so many of the most powerful people in the world are saying the opposite, that people were confused. So much so that we've bought, here who we've bought to the Vatican, um, the head of the Population Council, we've got the head of the UN, uh, Ban Ki-moon, who at the time was promoting abortion, Jeffrey Sachs, one of the biggest promoters of population control, but the father of, and, and Shel, uh, John Schellnuber, but the father of the sort of population control movement, if you will, um, the, the guy who wrote the population bomb, uh, that was the 1968 book that sort of stemmed this all, um, was actually invited as well. The worst thing, though, is, yes, so you have this wonderful parade of people who come, and it's regular now. We have these conferences in the Vatican regularly um, under the guise or agus of an environmental conference. And that's why we're doing this, because we want to you know, stick with the planet and, and have a nice, wonderful planet. Based on false research, as we know, there's an underpopulation, not an overpopulation problem. But these guys sit in there and talk as if we need to reduce the planet's people. And I know it's hard to believe all that. We have video of that on LifeSite. You can watch them say it. Uh, we watched a, a, um, a Japanese researcher say how it was amazing that he went to Tokyo or some country about 10 years ago and there were so many school children. There are half the number. He said there was 400,000, now there's 200,000. And he said that was amazing. So it was chilling to watch, but even more chilling was Bishop Marcel uh, Sanchez Sorondo, who is the head of the Pontifical Academy for Sciences and Social Sciences, who's on video saying that we need to give women, I could do his accent, but that would probably be insulting, but we need to give women education so that they will have one or two children, not seven children. But if that's confusing for you, when the Holy Father on the plane complained that it was irresponsible for a woman who had uh, children by C-section, she had seven and was going to have her eighth, uh, he, he said she was irresponsible and, and so on and so forth. That was really harmful for a lot of women who have heroically had many children, even by a C-section. So this stuff has been um, shocking to say the least. Oh, there's our uh, the next slide is just the members of the uh, population control groups, and at the end is Marcel uh, Sanchez Sarondo. The next slide is the uh, elevation of anti-pro-life anti hierarchy. Um, the appointments of people to high places in the church has been a nightmare in this papacy. Uh, and I'm going to go f first uh, talk about Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago. Supich was known uh, to be against, for instance, 40 days for life. 
Um, but not only that, Cardinal Supic was in Rome during the synods, and I was there and asked him a question because he was talking about how Morris Letizia is allowing for communion for divorced and remarried couples, and basically the the uh, minister of Holy Communion has to follow the consciences of the people, therefore they have to be given Holy Communion. <laughs> I said to him, well, what about, I, I said it really nicely, um, but I said, well, what about a, a, a homosexual couple? If they come forward, does the minister of Holy Communion give them co uh, uh, communion too if they believe that in conscience they're doing the right thing? You know what he said? Gays are people too. The minister of Holy Communion must give Holy Communion to the gay couple. Now, that was very interesting because nobody believed it. Everybody thought, that's nonsense. So we put out the audio of, the, of him saying it, and then three weeks later he said it on television in the United States as well. But right after that, he was made cardinal. So what's going on is an absolute nightmare. And you can look at different, um, different people. For instance, Cardinal Casper, who under JP2, yes, was made cardinal, but they fought. And they fought so much that basically Casper was sidelined. He didn't have much of a role anymore in the church. And everybody thought, because he was already old, that would be the last we'd hear of him. Except on day three of the papacy, as I said before, Francis praised him as a theologian who does theology on the knees. And then trotted him out at the first synod on the family and the second one as well. And talked about him uh, when, he went, when Francis went to a church in Rome here, um, a Lutheran church. Um, and he was answering a question on whether or not a woman should receive Holy Communion if she's Lutheran or her husband is Catholic. He said, oh, I'm scared to answer in the, in the face of the great theologian Cardinal Casper, who was sitting there in the audience and everybody laughed. And then he answered, well, it's not for me to say you pray and then go forward to the woman who was asking about that. Anyway, just we've got so many of these, I'll just stop there. There's over and over and over again. And then the demotion of good and holy cardinals who worked with popes uh, John Paul II and Benedict. Cardinal Burke, for instance, he was just removed from office. Not because he's of age, he's, he was still what they call a baby cardinal. Because, you know, they're young enough to stay in for a long time. But he was removed. And yet, no explanation for it other than what? He's conservative. And he was given what? He was given a post as a sort of chaplain, if you will, or something like that, to the Order of Malta. Even that was taken away, by the way. But nonetheless, it was unbelievable. Another cardinal removed was Cardinal Muller. Also, why? What did he do? He did nothing except defend the Orthodox faith. So we're in a, we're in a real pickle in terms of what's going on for, uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, putting up bad people and bringing down the good, but it's happening not only with people, but also with organizations. So um, the Pontifical Academy for Life, and I'm going to combine this with the John Paul II Institute, um, also which had almost exactly the same thing. So very interesting, both the Pontifical Academy for Life, founded by John Paul II, and the uh, John Paul II Institute for Life and uh, uh, the Family were dismantled under Pope Francis by the same guy. He put uh, Bishop Paglia in charge, and Paglia did exactly the same thing. He first, uh, the mandates were changed, so in terms of the Pontifical Academy for Life, the pro-life pledge was removed, and 
He also then the, did this strategy. He sort of suspended all the members and then brought back most, but excluded some who he didn't like. And they were all the ones that were most conservative, most pro-life, most close to the thought of John Paul II. And the same thing was done, exactly the same thing, done with the uh, John Paul II Institute. Again, change the mandate, suspend all the profs, bring back most, but leave out the ones, and in case of the JP2 Institute, it was uh, Father Noriega and, uh, and, uh, and Melina. So you had this unbelievable removal of the guys who were known, and Brian, who he will tell you forever about, because he was a student there, about how those two were foundational to the Institute. So, next slide. All right, and that, that is Archbishop Paglia. And you know, it is, um, did I have the other one there? Yeah, okay. So, Archbishop Paglia, who was, who was brought in to do that, um, is a real problem. It should have been known that he was a real problem because before he came there, he was the bishop in Terni. In Terni, uh, the, the sort of church, let's picture this is the church, okay? The tabernacle's over there. On this humongous wall, he made an image of, he had a, a, a painter who was horrific in his sacrilegious images, come and paint a painting with a Jesus with a translucent garb so you could see his genitals under the, under the cloth, holding two nets. And in the net are all sorts of homosexuals and transsexuals and everything like that. And they're nude and in sort of sexual poses, not having sex, but sexual poses. The artist was going to make sex, uh, having sex, but he thought maybe not to do that. And then he's lifting them up to take them to heaven. Now, if you go to the next image, you'll see part of it was the bishop having himself painted in the image, embracing uh, some nude guy. So I, I'm sorry for the image. We can go on. So, I mean, if you don't think we're in trouble yet, that by, there's Cardinal Daniels. Remember I told you the one on the balcony with Francis? There he is in a rainbow stall. Photographic evidence, video evidence, is actually very important because this stuff is so unbelievable that people have a hard time actually thinking. This is why people actually believe LifeSite goes and makes this stuff up. Uh, honestly. And yet, it's in full color. Okay, next slide. Alright, so um, now, 2016. Um, yeah. <laughs> A lot of these examples are so unreal. So, the Pope is asked about um, in 2016, about, by an Italian reporter about the debate in Italy regarding homosexual civil unions, the Pope replies, the Pope doesn't get mixed up in Italian politics because the Pope is for everybody. He can't insert himself into the specific internal politics of the country. Uh, it's not the role of the Pope, right? On the issue of legalization of homosexual civil unions. Okay, now, next, on the same flight, the Pope is asked, about um, the, it, during the presidential primaries, the Pope uh, or when, when was this? Oh yeah, uh, it was, this was previous to it, but anyway, the Pope inserted himself into the presidential primaries, the primaries by calling Donald Trump a person who only thinks about building walls wherever they may be and not building bridges is not a Christian. So to think you can slough off answering about civil unions with, oh, I don't go into politics, and then go absolutely directly into politics. 
is, well, today it's par for the course with Pope Francis, unfortunately. Uh, next slide, please. Kim Davis and Yayo Grassi. So this was um, one of the things, by the way, ever, people know Archbishop Vigano? Some. Hands up who know Archbishop Vigano. Okay, lots don't. Okay, that's interesting. We'll get there in a minute then. So, when the, uh, when the Pope came to the United States, at that time, there was legislation to allow same-sex marriage, and a Kentucky clerk, great Christian lady, who was a convert, actually, she lived a bad life before, kind of like me, and then she got married properly, and, and so on and so forth. So you're a really strong evangelical Christian. She was asked to sign onto these marriage certificates, and she said she wouldn't, and they threatened her with jail. And she had, you know, like three little kids, and she went to jail anyway. So she was jailed for a few days. Yeah? Sorry, could you say that again? I didn't quite understand. Yeah. So a Kentucky clerk, like a marriage registrar, um, they're elected, they're elected, elected positions in the United States. She was asked to put her signature allowing for gay marriage. Because when they come in for, you know, the marriage certificate, she's the registrar, she's supposed to sign. And she said she wouldn't sign, and therefore she was threatened with jail for not signing, and she went to jail rather than offend her conscience. Well, when the Pope came to America, um, the then uh, um, Nuncios wanted to bring her, because she was such a hero, to meet the Pope. She's not a Catholic, by the way, she's an evangelical Christian, um, and w thought it'd be nice for her and, and maybe for the church to, to bring her to meet the Pope, so he did. Now, when she met the Pope, it was very interesting. She wasn't allowed to take photos. She was told she wasn't allowed to mention it to the press until after the Pope left the country, and so she did that. Now, anybody who knows anything about meeting with the Pope, there's photos all the time because you get sold the photos later, right? It's a great business. That's what there's a photographer there with everything he does. Uh, and then you take the picture, you can go get it and pay for it. It's all wonderful. So this time, no photos. And she, after the Pope left, did what she was told. Then she went to the media and said, yeah, I met with the Pope. It was really nice. And the media said, well, where's the photos? And she said, I, I was told not to take any photos. So the media went to Rome and asked them, hey, is this true? The, the first answer from the Vatican press office was, uh, we can neither confirm nor deny the report. Then the media in America started calling her a liar. Then her lawyer, who knew it was true, was starting to make public statements. And then the Vatican press office put out a press release saying, while there was a meeting, the nuncio invited her. It was with a whole bunch of other people, and it wasn't... Now, get this. They said the only real meeting, and that's the actual text in the press release, the only real meeting or real audience that the Pope had with, with uh, the, someone in America, in, the, in, the, in, the, in Washington, was with his former student and his family. Who is his former student? His former student is Yayo Grassi. Who is a homosexual man in America? And did he come with his family? Yes, he did. He came with his mom and with his sister, but also with his homosexual lover. And there's not only photo, there's video of it, so you can watch the Pope go and embrace Yayo Grassi and embrace his homosexual lover. Next slide, please. That's the picture of, there's Yayo Grassi, and there's the Pope embracing his homosexual lover. And this is all on video, everywhere. Next slide, please. Pope's flight to Rome. Um, 
he referred to the woman, I told you about this one before, oh no, I didn't tell you this one yet. So, in 2015, we published a story that the Pope had met with a transgender couple in the Vatican and encouraged them in their messy lifestyle. No one believed us, even though we had a photo. Now, in October uh, 2016, the Pope told the story. It was unbelievable. He was on the plane, asked by uh, a reporter, Holy Father, though, because, now, here's an important thing to know about Pope Francis. He says different things all the time. So, he has said several times that transgender ideology is bad. I can count at least five times. And so the reporter asks, yes, you've condemned transgender ideology, but how do you take care of transgender people? And the Pope said, oh, well, I had one over to the, I had a couple over to the Vatican. Um, and he, no, this is something really strange. He said, and I'll read it to you. The Pope explains, this is the Pope explaining, a woman who felt like a man but was physically a young woman after a sex change surgery in her 20s, that's not his quotes, I'm just summarizing, uh, Pope Francis said he got married. Now he's saying he got married. Remember, it's a she. Reality. Um, he wrote me a letter. That's this woman with a sex change operation. Wrote, the letter, wrote me a letter saying that for him it would be a consolation to come to see me with his wife. This is the Pope's own words saying that it's he wanted to come visit me with his wife. And this is a transgender couple. I received them and they were very happy. So the optics here are as bad as possible for confusion of the faithful. Clarifying his use of pronouns then, the Pope said, he that was her but is he. In America anyway, there's a pronoun war going on right now. In other words, you don't know what to call the person who decides to call himself a woman because he feels like it. And it's so deadly that the Pope takes the wrong side in the pronoun war. But it's more deadly that he actually allowed for it in the first place. If you go to the next slide, you will see the photo. So here is the woman who had a sex change operation. So when she was 20, after she was 22, and she had her breasts removed and took hormones so that she could grow facial hair. And then um, married this woman and uh, the Pope had that and made it public. So I, I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're dealing with some very, very serious things. So uh, next slide, please. So this one got very personally relevant because the Pope, and by the way, there's video of this as well. The Pope um, in, in July 16, 2016, actually was having a meeting here in Rome with priests and he was talking about marriage. It's that one famous one where everybody said, oh, the Pope said most marriages are null. Do you remember that? I don't know if you remember that, but anyway. He said in that one that cohabitation is real marriage and has the grace of real marriage if there's fidelity. This was a horrible thing because my daughter was in college at the time and she called me to ask me, Dad, is it true that the Pope said cohabitation is real marriage and has the grace of real marriage? And when I came to Rome, I asked 
several, uh, well, uh, definitely one cardinal and other high-ranking prelates, was I supposed to lie to my daughter? Because no one is believing, this, at this point it's only 2016, people aren't believing that this is true. Um, and those were his exact quotes. But So, let's go to the next slide. Antonio Spadaro, who's the chief interviewer of the Pope, he heads up Civita Cattolica, he is a Jesuit, obviously, that's the Jesuit magazine, the main Roman Jesuit magazine. Here's his tweet. The welcoming of those young people who prefer to live together without getting married. There's the couple holding hands, going to meet the Pope, the smiling Pope. I'm sorry, this is hell for young people. I'm a dad of young people in their 20s, and that is hell for them. If you ever want a situation where the Millstone Award applies, it's this kind of thing. Um, coming on the back of, of course, this statement um, about, in, about cohabitation, which, by the way, the media picks up immediately. So all of these things are happening. Next slide, please. All of these things are happening, but they're in plane conferences and interviews in magazines. But there are actually formal changes. And while those other things are alarming as heck, and they are, they, they, they affect me personally, the formal, sort of formal changes or official things are even more scary because they're, they're made official and they're called official teaching, which actually can't happen because they're heresies. So there's three, and I'll, I'll talk about the fourth in a second. The change in the catechism on the death penalty. Um, that's impossible. In fact, in the 1200s, the, there was the Waldensian heresy, and I think it was the Pope was Innocent III. He corrected the Waldensian heresy, and when he did so, he talked about this, it, that it's fine or right, I'll get the word in a second, it's up there, of, to use the death penalty. And yet, now, uh, the catechism will get to the exact wording in a second. Second um, official change is on this question of uh, communion for the divorced and remarried, not in Amoris Laetitia, because Amoris Laetitia isn't clear. People will argue till they're blue in the face, oh, it's fine, there's a whole bunch of theologians who made an orthodox reading of Amoris Laetitia, how you do that, I don't know, but you can probably do mental gymnastics. But, he made it formally heretical when he put it in the Acta Apostolica Series. That is the sort of, if you will, rule book for bishops and what they use to determine what's what um, in the Acts of the Holy See, right? So he called the allowance for Holy Communion in certain cases where you can't get an annulment and where you can't live in continence. Everybody knows what that means, living as brother and sister. I'll run through that really quick. So. The, the, the rule of the church coming from Christ is that marriage is forever. You can't leave a marriage. You can't marry someone else. This messy situation where people do hook up with somebody else, live together, have kids, even when they had a former family, is deadly. Because then what do you do? You're in those particular horrible situations. John Paul II in Familiaris Consortio talked about which, a, a way forward for that where the, the new couple, as it were, who have kids now, it might be harmful for the kids if you know, one of the parents leaves or whatnot. So he talked about, well, if they're truly repentant, the couple can vow to live as brother and sister. And therefore, they can become right with the church again. There's still problems, of course, but you, there's the need to avoid scandal and stuff as well. Anyway, um, so that situation can go on 
under very specific circumstances with the necessity of continence to live like brother and sister, no sexual relations. That was changed, in, and it can't be changed. It's impossible to change. Um, and to, to show the severity of how impossible it is to change that particular teaching, homosexuals will always say to you, Ah, oh, Jesus never talked much about being gay, did he? And if you look through, he didn't reference homosexuality. He referenced Sodom and Gomorrah once. St. Paul talks all about it. It's all over the Old Testament. It's known church teaching, but nonetheless, Jesus, in the words recorded in the, the uh, Gospels, doesn't. But you know, Jesus is super specific on adultery. So if we can change church teaching on something as fundamental as where when Jesus was so super specific about it himself, how much more are we able to change anything else where he wasn't so super specific? That's why that debate was so hot, because it was an unbelievable shaking of the church, fooling with Christ's words himself. Um, then in the exhortation, exultate, um, gaudete exultate, uh, rejoice and be glad, you have this inversion of, um, or just falsehood, of how abo uh, immigration is, is uh, equal or even more important than... Um, than abortion in voting considerations. So we're going to get to that. Also, uh, a side note, he, he did allow for communion of Protestants when they had their spouses from Germany, as long as each individual bishop decides it, not as a thing. Okay, so I had more for you here, but I want to not take too long. So the Buenos Aires guidelines are there. Um, they vary, I mean, they show through that process that the wording goes, um, when it's not possible to obtain a declaration of nullity, so there's no annulment, the option of living in continence may not, in fact, be feasible. Which makes no sense. That's talking about direct adultery. Um, and it is equally possible to undertake a journey of discernment if one arrives at the recognition that in a particular case there are limitations that diminish responsibility and culpability, particularly when a person judges that he would fail in a subsequent, he would fall into a subsequent fault by damaging the children, which is of course insane because you're not damaging the children by not having sexual relations. <laughs> but anyway, nonetheless, there it is. Um, and Morris Letizia opens up the possibility of access to the sacraments of reconciliation and the Eucharist. Uh, if you go to the next slide. Um, oh, and by the way, just so that you know on that, in the Acta Apostolica Seris, it was called, a rescript called it authentic magisterium, authentic teaching. So, I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean, because this is an official document. Um, and there it is. But nonetheless, that's where we're at. Um, the exhortation, Gaudete Exitate. This is an official uh, exhortation of the Pope from last year. Some Catholics, this is a direct quote, some Catholics consider, and he was talking about immigration, a secondary issue compared with the grave bioethical questions. The scare quotes are in the original, by the way. That a politician looking for votes might say such a thing is understandable, but not a Christian. That's in the exhortation. He also said, and by the way, I encourage you, please don't believe me, please look it up. That's the name of it, and there's the paragraph numbers 102 and 101. He said, um, he criticized pro-lifers who he said, act, quote, as if there are other more important matters 
or the only thing that counts is one particular ethical issue or course that they themselves defend. And he was talking specifically about the defense of the unborn. Please look them up because I know it's, it's hard to believe. Um, oh yes, there, there's more full, but let's skip that one. Okay. Uh, oh, you can go two ahead from there to one more. Okay, so this is the exact language they used. They called it authentic magisterium, as I said. Um, he made the Buenos Aires letter, but that's too complicated. Let's just go with what we have so far. All right. Um, whoops, one back, please. There we go. All right. Oh, just there's that quote that I wanted to tell you about. So this is the change in the catechism from Pope Francis. The church teaches in light of the gospel that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person. She works with determination for its abolition worldwide. Okay, that's Pope Francis. This, remember, the Waldensian heresy condemned the death penalty to let them back into the church. Pope Innocent III said, with regard to the secular power, that's the state, we affirm, that's we is the royal we for popes, that it can exercise a judgment of blood, meaning the death penalty, without mortal sin, provided that in carrying out the punishment it proceeds, not out of hatred, but judiciously, not in a precipitous manner, but with caution. You can't have church teaching, especially in an official capacity, uh, um, contradict itself, but it, it, it seems to now. Um, okay, next slide, please. Okay, there is, of course, Archbishop Vigano, who made the big revelations. Most of you know about it. But anyway, he accused the Pope of knowing about Cardinal McCarrick um, and the abuse problems there. Um, the, the, of course, horrible uh, problems that way. And he, Archbishop Vigano himself, told the Pope about it when he came into office. And, he, and the Pope, nonetheless, lifted restrictions on Cardinal McCarrick that were placed on him. Um, and so the, I want you to know, because it's, it's becoming history now, but when the Vigano revelations were made, the Pope said, basically, I'm going to be silent about all this. And a lot of people said, oh, who's Vigano anyway? No one believes him. Wrong. In the U.S., go next slide, please. 35 bishops supported the credibility of Vigano because Vigano was a holy guy. Anybody who's met him and knows him knows he's a holy guy. So your life's testimony speaks. He did the most controversial thing on the planet by coming out publicly against Pope Francis. And 35 bishops who never would have stood up for him anything like this, because he was such a good guy, stood up and supported the credibility of his testimony and asked for it to be looked into. Um, Cardinal Burke obviously did, Bishop Schneider did, Swiss Bishop Eleganti did. Next slide, please. Um, you had various Catholic leaders as well, Father Benedict Rochelle, uh, the chair of the board of Christendom College, a famous uh, U.S. college, canonist Ed Peters, who was very notable, biographer George Weigel, EWTN Legatus withheld a 10% tithe to the Vatican, and there was for, a petition of some 46,000 women and over 10,000 Catholic men. Um, there was even secular support from the likes of Pat Buchanan, Rush Limbaugh, Ben Shapiro, a, a Jewish guy, by the way, very big names in America. N next slide later, next one again, and next one again. 
All right. So, yeah, just right there. So, just we're coming to our conclusion now, right? So, these are the latest things. Pope Francis in the Abu Dhabi Declaration declares that diversity of religions is willed by God, something that obviously doesn't make sense at all from any perspective if you believe in a one true faith. Father James Martin, the priest who goes around America talking about welcoming homosexuals in that same way that I told you earlier is, is very harmful for them. Uh, he was made a consultant to the Vatican's communications department. He was also placed uh, as a speaker in the Vatican's world meeting of families, for crying out loud. Um, and uh, just to, oops, sorry, just to show you what he's like, he praised the uh, Cardinal Tobin, who was just appointed Cardinal by the Pope, uh, and the Archbishop of Newark, who led a welcome mass for LGBT people in his cathedral. So, James Martin is a real, he's an enemy to the faith, whether he intends to be or not, I don't know. He might think he's doing good, he's really harming. Um, and actually, if you want to find out he's harming, go and talk to the converts. So one of our staffers, um, Doug Mainwaring, was uh, a, a practicing homosexual. And he came back to the church because of the truth of the church's teaching. And he fights Father James Martin harder than anybody else on staff because he knows how detrimental it is. And he knows from the community of those who have come out of the lifestyle how detrimental it is. So uh, you heard recently that the Pope gave away some of the relics of St. Peter to the Orthodox Patriarch, which is horrendous for what it showed. The Vatican uh, directives for China um, which is another huge topic. Cardinal Zen, who was the foremost expert on that, um, he said basically it's leading to the death of the true faith in China. And yet it's going forward nonetheless. We talked about the destruction of the JP2 uh, and the Institute for Marriage and the Family. Um, and next slide, please. Father James Martin is not the first time the Pope has promoted a, 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 a homosexual promoting person. He, this is a pose of Pope Francis with the LGBT Catholics Westminster. So if you know anything about an LGBT Catholic movement, this is not courage. This is not, we're going to help you come out of the lifestyle and live chastely and wonderfully become a Catholic. Oh, no, 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 no. These are the guys who, let's have a gay mass. So what's a gay mass? Well, we come with our partners and we come and celebrate and we all go to Holy Communion. It's all wonderful. That's what it's all about. And there's the pose with them. And the next slide, just so that you're up to date, is yesterday's news, the meeting of Pope Francis with Father James Martin. So, that's where we're at. But I want to conclude with this. Next slide, please. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. A quote from the Holy Bible. And it is true. And this is so great for us. Because there's more sin now than it ever before in human history. And I'll prove that to you. Because a lot of people will tell you, Oh, come on, it was way worse before. No, it wasn't. And you can prove that like this. It's really fun to do. Because, first of all, as John Smeaton loves to say, there's more children killed by abortion than in all of the world's Wars of history combined. But I love using this one. So, 
1917, Our Lady came and warned, more people go to hell because of sins of the flesh and purity than for any other reason. 1917, right? So, we know what those sins are. We know that pornography and that kind of thing is one of them. And guess what? There's more people today who regularly view pornography than there were people alive in 1917. So yes, there's more sin now than ever before, and therefore, grace abounds more now than ever before, and it's available for the asking. And if you're wondering how Father gave it to us this morning in, the, in, in his homily, let Our Lady, and that's it. You have the grace of the entire world. That three priests he was talking about that would not allow the devil to work in France that he told the, the uh, Cure of ours. Three! We're a lot more than three in this room. And finally this. So I had, um, there's a very uh, good and holy priest. So humbly was this. It was about a hockey game. So we're in Canada, so you have to understand hockey is part of Canada. And so it's about a hockey game, and he's watching the hockey game, and his, his team had worked really hard for the first time to make it to the playoffs, the ending where, you know, the final competition. And he said, the first period, we have three periods in hockey. The first period, his team lost three goals. In fact, he didn't even get to sit down before the first goal happened. He was still getting his beer and popcorn, which is what we do when we watch hockey in, the, in Canada. And his team had already lost the goal, lost two more in the first period. Second period, he was sure they were going to rally. They didn't rally. They lost four more goals in the second period, and it was absolutely horrible. And he thought, that's it. I should you know, call it quits, turn it off, and go to bed. But he thought, no, I'm a priest. I'll offer it up. And so he watched the third period. In the third period, the team scored seven goals to tie the game. In overtime, they won. But he told us 20 years later, he was watching the same hockey game because they were playing the best hockey games ever played on television. They were playing the whole hockey game again. So he sat down this time, he caught the first goal. But you know, he said, whereas with the first viewing, all those goals in the first period and the second period hurt him every time. It's like a stab went into his heart. It was so depressing. He said he could watch the first period and the second period goals with peace, even some joy, because he knew in the end that his team would win. That's where we are. We're in the first and second period watching the goals against our team, if you will, the team of Jesus. But we know in the end, he wins. In the end, her immaculate heart will triumph. So let's be happy and be joyful warriors despite all the hell that we're facing. May God bless you.